Hey guys, welcome to another another episode of the Renegade Variety Hour. We're here with Stefan Kinsella. He is a an American intellectual property lawyer and a libertarian legal theorist. Um, his works are primarily involved with the Mises Institute. I believe you've taught a few courses there. Am I correct on that? Yeah, the Mises Academy. That's right. Academy. Okay, right. Um, and he's an anarcho-capitalist and a lawyer who is against intellectual property. So wow. actually, yeah, and, and that was that was the first that's the first information actually I got about you whenever I first started uh, researching uh, intellectual property. Uh, I was very confused on the subject as to whether or not I should be for it. I was already on the objectivist kind of minarchist anarchist side of things, and the entire time I was thinking was how the hell are we going to enforce patents? And then I read against intellectual property and. After reading It's a Jetson's World after that, I was like, oh, okay, intellectual property seems fallacious at best. Can you tell us a, a bit about intellectual property and in the, in the way it's different than normal property? Or, no, abso absolutely. Yeah, so go ahead, Taryn. I know, I, or whether it exists at all. Yeah. I mean, it does exist in the sense that there are laws that attempt to protect what people call intellectual property, and these are primarily uh, discrete legislated laws that the federal government primarily has enacted in the U.S. and other countries around the world in the last couple of hundred years. The, the two big ones are patent and copyright, and they used to just be called patent and copyright. They, were only, they only started being called intellectual property, let's say, 100 years ago or so when everyone started you – know, a lot of free market economists started objecting to these things because they're pretty obviously anti-competitive and an infringement of private property rights. and lead to censorship and things like this because they control what you can say, what you can publish, what you can write, what you can sell in the free market. So you know, if you had never heard of these things before as a free market, just a, not even a crazy anarcho-capitalist like me, just a regular – not even a libertarian, just someone who's generally in favor of minding your own business, having competition in private property and free markets um, and some form of capitalism. If someone said, why don't we put up a – set up a system where people are not pitted to publish the books they want to publish unless someone approves of it, someone gives them permission, right? Or why don't we set up a system where you can't sell a product to a customer um, unless someone like your competitor gives you permission? Then people would say, what the hell? <laughs> this is insane, and this has nothing to do with the free market, and this is what people started recognizing. So then the defenders of these laws… Uh, and there are lots of defenders because people get vested interest in these systems, just like people uh, – companies get vested interest in tariffs and protectionism right? and in the social security system and pro-union laws and what have you. right? You're going to have a constituency build up. There are definitely some companies that make money because of different laws that the government enacts. So they start labeling these things as property rights and even natural rights, which is even more obscene. And so they won the battle, and over time, everyone has accepted the nomenclature or the terminology that the defenders of these laws used as a con job to sell it. So people call it intellectual property, and uh, it is property in the positive sense that the government does try to protect a so-called property right, and it's in things that have something to do with creations of the mind, so it's intellectual. So they call it intellectual property. And as I said, it includes patent and copyright primarily, but it also includes lots of other specialized arcane areas of law like trademark, trade, boat hole designs, database rights in some countries, not in America yet, fashion rights, 
which are coming, perhaps um, uh, defamation or reputation rights, which are protected by defamation law, which are not usually called IP, but it's the same, the same thing. Um, so lots of specialized rights like moral rights, which is the right to have your right attributed properly or not you know, uh, ruined later. It's, it's kind of a crazy system. But in any case, the big two offenders, in my opinion, are patent and copyright. Uh, so they're called intellectual property, and so when you have a regular person who hasn't thought a lot about this, they think, this guy's against intellectual property. I am for the free market. I am for private property. I'm for private enterprise. So I suppose I'm for intellectual property. You know, They don't give it much thought. They kind of accept that the label is correct. So when you have someone that says we're against intellectual property, their initial reaction is that you are against private property rights or property. And there are some lefties who are against property, and that's why they're against intellectual property or even capitalism. But the primary and the most sound reason to oppose intellectual property is because it's not property at all. It's basically a state-legislated monopoly privilege, which is uh, thought control, speech control, and anti-competition, anti-free markets uh, sold under the name of intellectual property and which violates private property rights. So if you are in favor of private property and free enterprise and individual rights and the free market, that is the strongest reason to be against these sort of uh, monstrous intrusions in into the market. Right. And when I think of intellectual property rights, I think of, you know, they're trying to protect things that are intangible, which <laughs> to me is an absurdity in and of itself. But um, what do you think of, you know, anarcho-capitalist or, you know, so-claimed libertarians who claim to be anarcho-capitalists who are pro-IP? Because I did listen to a debate, which I, with yourself and Bob, I, I believe Bob, Win Bob Windsor, is that correct? Bob, Bob Winsel, yes, Winsel? right. Yeah. Uh, I only got through 40 minutes of it. I don't know how you made it through the whole thing. <laughs> but, um, you know, it, it seemed like... Should have like, been called the asshole and the intellectual. Which, which I get that he was emotionally <laughs> invoked by, you know, a number of things. But it didn't seem like he had a clear definition of what IP even was. So what do you think of libertarians who are in favor of it and their... Um, that's a good question. Um, I So let's talk about that. First of all, I made it through because I agreed to do it, and, um, and, and I've gotten... Dozens of comments asking how could you how could you put up with that? How'd you have the patience? And like they wonder why I didn't get angry. And I mean, look, I'll be honest. I don't want to insult the guy. Uh, I actually have met him, and he's I think he's a nice guy in person. Um, I even think he's well-meaning. He's got some bizarre fixation on this. He's made a mistake, and he can't retract it now. But uh, I had the patience to do it because I actually don't respect what he says intellectually. So when he Hurls names at me. They, it's it's like it's like a it's like a computer, you know, or a cat or a two year old saying something. It's yeah. not, it, I mean, it really didn't upset me at all. Um, I mean, unfortunately for him, I don't actually respect him intellectually, so that's why I didn't get upset because I don't take what he has to say seriously. I was hoping he would at least try to mount a case for IP. He didn't even try. Um, so. Yeah, at all. I, I was well, looking for a case because I wanted to hear both sides, you know, and it was unfortunate that there wasn't an objective analysis or a debate that was able to go on because he was so upset. Um, 
I don't, think he was, think? I don't even know if he was really upset. I think it's an act. I think he's trying to get traffic. Maybe he's trying to sell a George formula. I don't. I really don't care about the okay. guy. But um, I don't, I don't even know if he's an anarcho-capitalist because he wouldn't even answer that question directly. But the, so what do I think about libertarians? What do I think about anarchists who are pro-IP? Um, anarchists, to my mind, have no excuse. I mean if you know anything about this, this area of law at all, and if you don't, you shouldn't be commenting on it. It's okay to be curious, to have questions. Uh, to stay silent about it. But if you're a, a, actually an anarchist – and by the way, I use the term anarcho-libertarian more nowadays than anarcho-capitalist partly because the left has um, ruined our ability to use the term without vituperation and and um, and confusion and mislabeling what we believe in. You know, They're going to call us crony capitalists or whatever, capitalists, whatever you call it. So – I still – it depends on how you use the word, but the word capitalism has almost been ruined by our leftist comrades that – Well, to be I, fair, a Marxist did come up with the term. Sure. Yeah, no, I, I – And I mean like you know, they're the ones who started with it. Um, so uh, when we're at Liberty in the Pines, which is where I was able to meet you, Jeffrey, and, and Stefan Molyneux, which yes. was fantastic, you were talking about – um, defining property. Yes. Uh, I was in a discussion with a friend of mine, and he mentioned that you know, when people talk about property, um, they generally mean that you have to actually put work into property in order for it to be your own. Yes. And so his idea on intellectual property is, well, now you know we've moved kind of beyond that kind of uh, physical labor into mental labor, where you yes. need to put in mental labor in order to uh, have a product that is actually your own. Right. You contested though that. The idea that you need to put labor in order to have the property uh, is more kind of a Marxist labor theory of value idea rather than one that should be held by libertarians. Can you tell me more about that? It's, it, this is a difficult issue to sort out, okay? And look, maybe, maybe I'm wrong on this, but this is the best I've been able to figure out. Um, I understand people being confused on this issue. Um, I agree that the source of property rights is some – Action that transforms or somehow emborders a previously unowned scarce resource. You can call that labor if you want. That's fine. The mistake that's made is assuming that that argument requires the assumption that you own your labor. So the original the original formulation is you own yourself or your body, and therefore you own what you do with it, which is labor, and therefore you own some unowned resource that you mix your labor with because it's sort of inextricably bound up with it. So – I think that was a picture Locke was painting, and I think actually he was basically right, but it was a picture. It was a metaphorical way of explaining it. Even Locke understood that this metaphor should not be taken too literally because Locke himself did not agree that intellectual property was a natural right. If he really had taken his own metaphor seriously, he would have had to have agreed that copyright and patent or something like that were also a natural right. So the mistake that's made is this idea. The the libertarian notion is that we look into the world and we see that there's a possible conflict. There are things out there we all want to be able to use in commerce or to have better lives or to produce things, uh, means of action basically. We see there's a possibility of conflict, and we prefer there to be an, orgular, I'm sorry, an, or, an orderly, regularized way of people using these things. That's what property rights are. So the entire libertarian project is figuring out who is the owner? Who has the property right in a given consistable resource? Okay, and the Lockean answer is, well, we can. It's either the original owner, 
which is the person who mixed his labor with it because he demonstrated he had the first claim to this thing, or it's someone he gave it to by contract or someone down the chain of title. So that's the answer to this question, um, and that is correct as far as it goes, but it does not mean that we own our labor, and it doesn't mean that there's a general principle that whatever you mix your labor with and create that you own. See, that misses the original – the reason for the inquiry is because there's a possibility of conflict. So you have to first ask, is, are we talking about a thing that is ownable, which means are we talking about a thing over which there be, can be conflict, which means we're talking about a scarce resource or a means of action. For those types of things, then the question arises, well, we have possible competing claims to it. Who's going to have the best claim to it? Who's going to own it? And we have our libertarian answer. Marxists have their libertarian uh, their answer. Other people have their answer. The state gets it. The, the needy people get it. Uh, you know, society gets it. Uh, the military gets it. McDonald Douglas gets it. Whatever. You know, we think the person who created it or gets it by contract gets it. But the question is always who owns this resource. So you can't go backwards from that and induce a principle that, therefore, whatever you create, you own. Because then you lose the mooring or the connection to the original basis of the inquiry, which was trying to solve conflict. But so, as in, as in, so if, if there's no scarcity in this case, where, I mean, there's a there's a slight scarcity when it comes to intellectual property, only in the sense that every yeah. single time you lose a human, you lose a library. So there right. is that's you, correct. You, you know, you you do lose that fact. Yes. Um, and all that means is that every person has information. They have memories. They have knowledge. And as which, Hayek showed, the knowledge is in, in a way is tacit. A lot of people can't even express uh, in a recordable or repeatable form what they really know. They, they convey it through the price system by their actions, but not all knowledge is um, something you can just put on a flash drive or a thumb drive. Right. I agree with that. Yeah. So – and from there, um, I, I think the, the correct argument then from um, – from the idea of you have to mix labor or anything else or the fact that every every single time you lose a human being, you lose the library, is more that the self or the person should be respected and their, their own livelihood should be respected. But it doesn't mean that you're not allowed to borrow or extrapolate new things based, based off of their ideas, whether you add something or you decide not to add anything. No, I think that's right. I think the fundamental mistake – I mean not to get too philosophical, but like my friend who's a, who's a good uh, – libertarian he's fantastic he's he waffles on whether he's a minarchist or an anarchist i'm talking about tibor mccann he's a great neo-objectivist philosopher and what he says is there are different things in the world ontologically different things ontology is a study of the types of things that exist in reality now i have no problem with saying a poem or a novel or an invention or a recipe uh, or a pattern of information or a music file exists in some way because to my mind what that means it's a concept with a meaningful – it's a meaningful concept with a referent. It's a concept that is a useful con concept that refers to something in reality that helps us to understand reality. But it doesn't mean that this concept – in other words, by this reasoning, any – basically any word we humans could come up with that helps us to understand things in reality, that word has to refer to some, quote, thing that is an ownable thing, which is just not true. I mean I love my son. Where is the love? Does it have a location, a substance, a weight? Is it an ownable thing? It's a useful concept. It's actually even accurate in my case. Okay, For example, memories of the location of the solar system relative to another 
to another uh, solar system. These are all things that are concepts that make sense, but the purpose of property is for the type of things, the ontological type of things, over which there can be conflict. If there was no conflict, the entire purpose, the entire concept of property would make no sense, and in fact, uh, the idea of action would make no sense. Humans would not be able to act without there being scarcity. I mean this is literally true. It's hard to wrap your mind around it. If we lived in a world of perfect uh, superabundance, which Hoppe talks about, which there's like infinite superabundance, which basically means we're magical beings where anything can be accomplished in the blink of an eye. In fact, there wouldn't be any eyes. We would just be ghostly beings. Everyone would be like a computer program living in their own space and just whatever you want. talking about 3D printers. Yeah, I'm getting there. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's heading that direction. Um, but, but, the, but the point is um, – um, you know, there is no uh, there, there is no reason to say that any concept that we have that's valid refers to a thing that's ownable. Because if you ask the question, if you assume that there's a, a novel or a poem, let's say a poem because that's more obviously a pattern of information. If there's a poem and we say it exists and we assume that because we can say it exists, which is sort of a philosophical, epistemological observation, right? It's a way of validating a conceptual way of understanding what we're experiencing as humans. If you say this poem, quote-unquote, exists, and then you then you assume that if something exists, then it has an owner, well, then the answer pops out. If you say, well, who's the owner of the poem? Well, the natural answer is whoever created it, right? I mean, who else could own it? And that's what they say. That's not the flaw in their logic. The flaw in their logic is to assume that the poem is an ownable thing just because you can identify it with concepts. So to me, this is the fundamental mistake. But the way to see that is to understand that the Lockean sort of set of rules, the libertarian set of rules I identified earlier, are basically exhaustive and complete. They answer all the possible questions for any resource in the world that there can be con a conflict over or clashing, a scarce resource or what we call a rivalrous resource in economics, right? The answer to who the owner is is satisfied with a couple of very simple answers. Who the first appropriator was, and yes, that involves labor, but that doesn't mean you own your labor, or who purchased it or acquired it by contract from a previous owner. That answers all the questions. Um, and so if you come up with a new principle saying, well, you also have the right to own uh, ideas, well, as you said, Carlos, you really cannot own an idea. I mean, I don't even mean this as a lawyer or – I'm sorry, as a libertarian or as an anti-IP guy. You literally cannot own an idea I mean, because you can't exclude it. right? It's, it's like saying uh, to own your religion, like when people fight over religion, that they're, they're claiming ownership of a religion. What they're really claiming is ownership of scarce resources. right? Like if one guy says you convert to my religion or I will kill you. What's the real thing that's disputed? It's the person's body, right? So the guy that doesn't want to be killed is claiming he owns his body, and the other guy with the other religion is claiming, no, I've got the right to, to, to shoot your body or put a hole in it if you don't listen to me. So the dispute is always about a scarce resource, and the religion war or whatever is just the, 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 the motivation for entering into the conflict over the scarce resource. right? So by the same token… Um, when you have these guys talk about copyright or patent, they really don't own an idea, and you, it's literally impossible to own an idea. Just think about it. If you know how to bake a cake or have a recipe for doing something, 
I mean, literally millions of people could get the same idea and use it at the same time and compete with you. And in fact, that's why they want these laws. So they go after the property, the plant, the capital goods, the equipment, the money in the bank accounts of the companies that are violating their patent right, let's say. But really the dispute in this case is over their money, over their plant, over their machinery. But we already have an answer. Libertarianism already says who owns these things. It's the original owner or whoever acquired it by contract from a previous owner. That's it. Unless they've agreed by contract to assign it or to be bound by some, some special arrangement, or they've committed a crime or a tort that would give someone a right to take your property away from you as like you know retrib- uh, uh, restitution for committing a crime. Other than that, you have the right to use your property as you see fit. So this is the fundamental property problem with trying to assign property rights in non-scarce resources. It's really impossible to do it, so it amounts to a redistribution of wealth in already existing property rights. Right. I think also um, I, I heard Stephen Molyneux give a definition of property, you know, and his um, expression of it was, well, what are you willing to exude force over? You know, are you really willing to put someone in a cage yes. for downloading a movie, which I think a lot of people who have not been involved in the legal system or haven't had, you know, someone in their lives who they had to be around who was involved in that system don't realize the repercussions for what these laws are doing. You know, I mean, they're quite literally incarcerating people like animals for taking, you know, ideas which... I, I, I think an issue comes um, when people... When I hear someone say, and I hear this from liberal atheists a lot, you shouldn't legislate morality, which I think is cute because morality is stating this is a universal principle that everybody should follow no matter what. Um, well, that's what a law is. I mean, but they're making it arbitrary. So in their yes. in their sense, laws should be arbitrary and not based off moral principles or scientific or logical reasoning. Um, and when people talk IP, a lot of times it's out of uh, a pragmatic reason. It's okay if I'm a venture capitalist, and I want to put twenty billion dollars into this one idea over the next twenty years. How are we going to be able to make money off of this? Um, well. So instead of thinking outside of the normal domain of law, which is if I don't like it, I hit it with a hammer, um, they immediately go towards that kind of the, 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 the idea that we need to regulate this or that we need to stamp it out with law. And I believe that music, um, you know, many musicians, or at least, you know, the large musicians had an issue when it came to pirating. Um, when it first came out because they were worried that they wouldn't be able to make any money off of their work. One that um, was a little bit confusing to me because you can go ahead and check over the last 50 years how many musicians have been screwed over by record companies by sticking themselves into contracts where they no longer own their own music. It's always been the case that the musicians didn't own their own music when it came to large labels. But also they've been able to move move past it because of things like pirating is the reason why the iTunes store even ended up opening. Hey, look, here's an easy way of being able to get this stuff just by clicking get. And, and not only that, everyone, it, it, everyone, it, it showed that all the customers want RM free files. Not that they wanted them for free necessarily. They, they were sick and tired of being um, restricted by these ridiculous DRM rules. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes. Yeah, sorry, real quick. I'm just plugging my stuff in. Uh, apologies for the armpit. Okay. Um, Anyway, so no, I think that you know Napster and all these things showed that uh, I mean iTunes 
amazingly was progressive on this issue because you know Apple's been one of the worst IP offenders. Um, yeah. Big hypocrisy and whatever, you know, it's the way it goes. But um, no, but I think Apple wasn't losing money because of that piracy. No, no, they weren't. Losing Apple, money. Apple right. figured out a way to gain money. Right. Whenever, whenever, whenever they can win, yes. then it's okay. They're okay with it. Whenever they can lose, then they'll get the law. And of course, they were and, quote they were quote pirates early on. Steve Jobs and all these guys were freewheeling sort of Silicon Valley types early it, on, and. Yeah, if you and if you saw that movie uh, Silicon, I think called like Silicon Valley or uh, something Pirates, like that. Pirates of Silicon Valley, yeah. Yeah, and the thing yes, is, yeah. they 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 make it though. They make it also sound like Bill Gates was an asshole for taking the idea of the mouse yeah. and then using that. Yeah, no, he was an no, asshole this, for other reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, a lot of other. That reasons. was actually one of the best things he did, right? <laughs> yeah, he was a, he was he was an asshole for certain reasons. Um, but I mean, I'd say by and large, he's done more for humanity oh, than absolutely. Than no pretty doubt. much, I mean, we're both speaking through this beautiful PC, and it had a lot to do with the design of that. But well, he had to do with its limitations as well. But you know, yeah, well, and that's and that's that's the uh, that's the crappy thing about intellectual property is what do patents create? Not more creativity; they create more patents because the the concern is is that okay, well. Now that we have these patent laws, I have to make sure I patent my product before someone else does it. That's why you get Apple suing Samsung, Samsung suing Apple repeatedly, even though Samsung is making some of the uh, hardware that, that Apple sticks into their computers. But they, they're constantly in this, this uh, you know, a fight between one another, all because of the, because of the, the state that it's in. I think a common issue that occurs when the idea of patent law or how to handle a world where we're not respecting intellectual property is a lack of creativity, which is funny enough. It's, you know, I, I never heard people 10 years ago say, oh, well, don't worry, there's going to be this thing called Kickstarter that's going to come out of nowhere. And people are going to be able to fund their own music projects and be able to essentially give out the music for free because that's not where they made the majority of the music. They make it off of the Kickstarter fund that they get originally and then off of concerts that they get from there. Sure. Um, well, and, and, you know, um, there's a phrase by Isabel Patterson, I think it's Isabel Patterson, called the humanitarian with a guillotine, right? And it's a little bit tangentially related to what you're saying. It's it's the idea that you have these progressive pro-human rights on the surface types who really are willing to enforce their ideas by cutting people's heads off. I mean literally, you know, French Revolution. Um, and there's an aspect of that in what you mentioned about the, um, the enforcement of IP. You know… Part of the problem with having an industrialized, highly legalized, advanced economy like we do is that a system falls into place and people, by and large, fall into line with it, like income tax uh, withholding. Um, people get used to it, and they think these things like you're talking about, like you know, it's part of property rights or we need this to incentivize, and they don't think about the icky details of enforcement because people kind of go along with it. They're paying royalties for using someone's ideas. They're paying ASCAP royalties for uh, for music. And you know, it's only kind of the exceptional cases that make the headlines, like a guy going to jail for two years for, for uploading one copy of the Wolverine movie, right? Or trying yeah. to extradite Richard Dwyer from England for doing something that's actually legal in this country, having a website with links to pirated sites. Um, or raiding Kim.com's house, right? Um, now it's getting worse in recent years, but these things look like exceptions, and people don't know the details, and they assume these are just horrible people. I mean, there's like 200, maybe plus ICE, ICE, Immigrations Custom and Enforcement 
um, closures, shutdowns of websites every year. I mean, there may be more. You'll go to some website, you'll see a big, ominous, you know, Gestapo-looking seal. This has been shut down because of child pornography or more often um, counterfeited goods, which means fake Louis Vuitton bags or something like that. Basically, IP piracy. Um, so they shut down these sites with almost no due process, a pure taking your private property, censorship, and people don't see it. I mean, there's millions of sites, so the ones on the on the margins, people don't notice. It's like the drug dealers, right? I mean, most of us don't have, uh, I don't know, guys that were raised in the in, in the in the in the hood who have no hope, and they're shooting people and part of the drug culture, and half their male relatives are in jail. We see it. We know about it because we care. We're passionate about this. But your average person just thinks it's wrong to do cocaine. But why the hell are people doing cocaine? So of course that should be illegal. That's how they think about it. But, yeah, I. You know, I'm go sorry. Ahead. Go ahead. That's right. Well, no, I, I get the illegality aspect of it. But what do you think about you know people having no regard for the penalties for these actions? I mean, people think if someone snorts cocaine, well, we should put them in a cage and they should be incarcerated and beaten. I yeah, mean, yeah. Are, that's truly what happens. You know, and that's what happens when someone downloads. A movie, right? They, I mean, the penalties for these are so extreme that it's it's an absurdity. It makes right? it makes me think. I think it makes me think, though. You know, when you're talking about the legality and what happens to these people, it's it always makes me think of where the feminists are lying the blame incorrectly. They always bring up rape culture, right? But the truth of the matter is that the rape culture is in male prisons. Uh, absolutely, no, it's they, horrible. I agree. People know they're going to get raped. Yeah, it's horrible, and people joke. They joke about it. Yeah. Sitcoms. Yeah. They joke yeah. about this. Like, drug, uh, so they're fucking brutally raped. Their assholes no, are being they're, ripped they're, open, and they get STDs shot into them. No, they're telling you, you're like, uh, you might want to take this deal. Like, even if you're innocent, right? Some prosecutor's trying to do a deal with you. You might want to take this deal because you don't want to have a girlfriend in prison, do you, Sally? I mean, like, are you – it's just hideously obscene. But it shouldn't be surprising. I mean, Americans and people of all cultures – I mean, America have always believed in conscription, the draft – Right, shooting deserters on the battlefield. I mean, just executing people with no due process, uh, putting people in jail for tax evasion. So the modern stuff is just an extension of that. I mean, maybe even less brutal in a way, because at least it's predictable and you can predict it. And there's a little bit more red tape due process about it. But I, I guess so. But that's also like talking about the stability of the dollar, because it only drops five percent every single year. So at least we know what's going on. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's still horrific, and I think when someone when they joke about oh you don't want to be someone's girlfriend, do you make jokes about that about women getting raped? No, no, they, they, they don't. wouldn't do that. They wouldn't do that. And they and look, they don't. They, you can't make jokes about race, and you know there's so much PC sensitivity. However, the same people support laws and policies that have okay. literal consequence of far more racist implications and outcomes than if you were a member of the of the, Q, the KKK. I mean the wealth, the drug law, uh, minimum wage laws, um, military conscription, and even just the military itself, right? And uh, the, the business cycle, the unemployment that it causes, high taxes, uh, and the welfare state have devastated. And plus, the legacy of Jim Crow and slavery in this country, all government institutions have devastated the black community. Totally devastated them. It's just one of the the, the worst uh, genocides in human history. Or at least in American well, history. And it's going on now. I mean, Paul had a great book about this. He calls it The Vision of the Anointed. Um, Self-congratulation is the basis of social policy. And that's really what it's about. It's about these progressive, high-minded liberals just patting themselves on the back. 
for having the right opinions at cocktail parties with fellow white millionaires, not giving a damn about the real consequences to the people they claim to be um, caring about. I, I think they're complete hypocrites, and um, I don't know if they're totally evil, but how they can do it, Taryn, I don't know. I don't know how you can, as a decent person, maybe they don't see the evil. Maybe they don't actually see what it's like to see these people in prison. Uh, maybe they think it's really easy to just say no. And so you have no excuse. I don't know. I don't know how you justify it morally. I think it's horrible. It's one of the worst things in society right now. Well, in regards to – I'm going to try to get a little bit optimistic <laughs> <laughs> just to change change it up a little bit. Um, you know, what do you see in terms of – I mean I loved how whenever SOPA came out, you had these websites like Reddit and tons of them who were just completely against it. And they were advocating, you know, this is – ridiculous and we've seen that SOPA has gone down. I mean obviously there are other forms that may come up and they may discuss it later. But you know, are you optimistic that so, uh, these types of bills will, you know, okay. maybe be defeated? I don't I have varying views on this. No, number one, I think that well, you have to recognize that patent and copyright are like among the top 5 or 6 horrible things the government does to us. We don't really recognize that. Uh, it's up there with war. Um, the minimum uh, – I mean, sorry, the drug war and war, taxation, government schooling, and the Fed. I mean those are the worst things the government does to society, and this is one of those top five or six. Um, in a way, there's optimism because it's not going to get much worse, I believe. It's reached a, a, a point where they – but it's so bad now that they don't need to make it much worse. I mean the copyright system is basically infinite. It's 150 years roughly. They probably won't be able to add another 20 years onto it like they've been doing the last uh, several decades, but it's bad enough already. Um, on the other hand, there is in increasing ability to evade it, which is hopeful, like with uh, BitTorrenting and encryption, uh, Bitcoin, right? In, to an extent, Bitcoin can be extended to things other than money. It could cover records and data and stock, stock ledgers and things like that. Um, and then in the patent system, as you mentioned, 3D printing, things like that. If they – if the state doesn't kill it, that may be a way to evade all these insane protectionist patent laws. On the other hand, unlike the drug war and even unlike taxes, which most people tolerate, but they sort of know that they're not really right. They know they're not really compatible with justice and fairness and property rights. They just think we have to have them, but they know they're not right, and they at least want to minimize them. When you sell the patent, the patent and copyright system as intellectual property and everyone buys into that, it's harder to fight because they're kind of in favor of property rights. Um, so we have both battles, and we also have, of course, special interests which are not going to give up. You know, Hollywood and the movie association and the software industry yeah. and various a big Amer pharmaceutical industry, big American companies, big Western companies. I mean I saw a study recently. There's like literally tens of millions of dollars. Of human beings who have died in, in Africa by because of AIDS, uh, because they yeah. couldn't get drugs because they're they're they have monopoly prices on them because of the Western companies have used American government to twist the arms of these African nations against their their own people's interests to extend these monopolies over there, and so patents are li literally killing tens of millions of people. It's I used – I mean I keep going back and forth on what's the worst copyright or patent. I used to think patents were worse because I was a patent lawyer, so I knew it really well. And then I, I recently switched. I think copyright's worse because it censors free speech 
uh, patents only impose, uh, you know, like a tax on on innovation and on the economy. So it's just another tax. It's bad, but it's just a tax. But copyright censor free speech, and they last so much longer. And they're and they put people in jail where patents don't. But now patents are killing tens of millions of people. So I don't know. I don't know which one's worse. But they're, they're both absolutely. It's amazing. it's so gross to think about. You know, when you when you put it into real context. Um, I think a lot of people don't recognize the results of this. Uh, when you bring up, say, the, the cases where it's you know the FDA uh, implementing with pharmaceutical companies these patents on drugs, and one first they'll blame it on capitalism for some unknown reason, and then or they'll come up with some kind of rationalization. And these have real world effects that I, I don't think people people really want to ponder the same way that any regulation has effects, the same way that any you know, time we're trying to help out spread freedom across the world. It's a separation of <clears throat> morality from rational thinking by, well, someone else is doing that. Yeah, they trust the Our experts, God they trust the experts on this a lot. I think that's a yeah. big part of it. But um, look, it's true that there are lots there, – there are several – people that you could mention in society that probably may have made a lot of money off of copyright like you know i know it's um who's the the blonde singer now the, the new madonna you know um uh express Which yourself one? you know i'm talking about the lady oh, lady gaga lady gaga, lady gaga. not express yourself express that's, yourself. that's madonna okay. lady gaga you know justin bieber and jk rowling the author of harry potter on the other hand, who really thinks they wouldn't be multimillionaires in an IP-free world? Okay, so th the big stars would be rich anyway, so that's not really the issue. The big entrepreneur, Steve Jobs. We no. Does anyone really think Steve Jobs wouldn't be rich without patent and copyright? No one thinks that. Um, um, so you asked earlier about uh, Carlos about um, like how your regular author or publisher does, and. I think it's important to put in context. Most people don't understand this because they have such a, a narrow time horizon of history that they're just so used to the way things are now. Patent and copyright originated in the 1500s, 1600s in Europe and England. Patents as a way to grant protectionist favors to the court cronies to stop competition. And copyright originated as a way to literally – I mean literally censor free speech and books. So the monopoly was given to the stationer's company by the government and the crown. And so if you're an author, you had to get permission or approval basically of the church and the government through the stationer's company. So when the Statute of Anne came along in 1709, which was sort of the first modern copyright statute, it changed the system. It liberalized it, and it sort of shifted the copyright type of idea from the publishing guilds to the authors. The authors were in favor of it, but not because… They want to stop people from copying their work. They, they were in favor of it because they had the right to grant permission to publish their works now. It was a way of liberating themselves from the censorial control of the state and the church. Okay, So the original reason people were in favor as a populist movement of copyright was escaping from government control. But then guess what happened pretty soon? The publishing industry emerged on top of that yet again. Right? And it became the new stationers guild, and it became the new gatekeeper. So it's the same as it used to be, except with the different, you know, different details. So if you're a small author, until recently, with the advent of the internet and the Amazon and things like this, you had to sign a contract with the publisher, sign all your rights away. So again, you've got this big monolithic state-supported 
capitalist corporation, not completely free market, right, that has all your copyrights. Um, and you couldn't even perform your own songs sometimes or, or re-record them or do a derivative version or a new version. You couldn't write a new book expounding upon your last book without going to your, your publisher from 15 years ago and getting permission. So law, authors got shackled yet again. And there are literally – there's like one of the worst things in all of human history is there's this black hole of, of books from about – I don't know, 1900 to about 1950, let's say. Maybe I got the date slightly wrong. But it's because of this thing called the orphan work problem. So where we have all these works that are covered by copyright under the statute, but we can't find the authors because the trail is messy and we don't know who owns it. So no one can reprint these works because you don't know who you can get permission from, and it's a copyright violation, potentially a felony to reprint them. So you have literally – Millions of books from this period of human flourishing and creativity, you know, the late 1800s, early – well, probably the early 19th, uh, early 20th century that are going to die because they're just sitting on library shelves. They're getting the papers old and falling apart. Google tries to scan them, and all the publishers sue them for it. Copyright is, is, is like the new Library of Alexandria. It's going to cause the destruction yeah. of millions of important books. Um, Thankfully, in the modern age, we have digital copies of the new stuff, and authors are starting to self-publish, so we might have a renaissance. But there's a big period of history, decades and decades, of millions and millions of, of important books that – they won't all be lost, but they're, they're obscure. No one can find them right now. They might as well be lost because they're not digital. Right, you can find them. So it's just hard. That's, there's so many, there's so many horrible yeah. things that are the result of the patent and copyright system. Um, and the idea that any libertarian could support it if they understand it is um, is mind blowing to me. Is mind blowing. You know, and and on the practicality note, there's a few things that keep people from you know that would ensure that they would at least make some dough. Um, whether that be first to market, you know, whenever the 9/11 Commission report came out, um, which was free online yes. and everything else. Yes. Uh, one and publisher, because it's a government document. I think that's correct. One author immediately released yep. it, and then a number of people. Oh, excuse me, one company originally released it, and then within a day or two, a number of other companies did. But because he was first to market, they sold millions. And there's another thing, which is, you know, when you when you think about copyright or trademark. When I go to a grocery store, when I go to Walmart, I can get Benadryl for 99 cents for 100. Or you can buy real Benadryl or, you know, with the brand name Benadryl for $3 for 100. Now, it may or may not be the same thing. I'm under the notion that as far as I'm concerned, it's pretty uh, similar enough for me to take the generic. That's a good Austrian approach. It's the same good for you. Yeah, not but... Not else. Yeah, um, but... So if they... They still make money. They're still making money even though they're having a higher price for possibly the exact same thing. Um, and, and so there's there's okay there's direct competition there between two different products which might be exactly the same and they're coming out with new things. Of course, pharmaceutical companies now though are um, trying to stagnate this kind of progress by adding possibly one little new mo molecule or yep. something else. They're, yeah, they're, to they're where gaming the patent. They they're gaming the, yeah. the FDA regulatory process and the patent system. They are. Because you have Clarendon, which once it was coming off of a patent, they immediately released Clarinex, 
yep. which became the new prescription. And then after a while, they go, okay. Claritin D. And then well. we got, well, Claritin D is, it has amphetamines in it. Um, so it's like a, it is, it is a, a different drug, but, uh, they're trying to game the system in this way. And the reason why they kind of have to game the system is, um, one, it costs $2 billion to be able to produce a drug, which has a lot to do with pharmaceutical companies writing a lot of the litigation. I mean, you know, writing a lot of the paperwork in regards to that. Uh, but the actual, the, for the amount of time that they get the patent or copyright for their drug, um, it actually isn't that that much time in order to be able to make up all the money that they had to do on frivolous testing and paperwork. It's not like every single one of these tests that the FDA does is practical or has any kind of real legitimacy. Yeah. The majority of it is just bureaucratic. People should recognize the fact of that. They think the FDA is somehow helping us, but if you go into a DMV or if you go through Homeland Security or anything else, you're well aware that the majority of the things and the money that are going into these projects are purely won based off of bureaucracy and allowing more and more people to be employed by the state who push more and more papers. So it's costing these people billions of dollars for no reason. Um, and we also well aware that the FDA, because it is the one organization that is the monopoly over this kind of testing within the uh, prescription field, because it's a monopoly, it is also the easiest to corrupt. Because if they're the only ones that they're not, they're not allowed to compete with anyone else, then you're able to give them money, which is why we have a lot of studies which are kind of pushed underneath the desk, especially in relation to um, statins yeah. and non-steroidal anti-inflammatories uh, drugs. Um, so, you know, all this kind of lends itself to a pretty rough situation. If we look at the vitamin field or the drug field that's not prescription pace, say in nootropics, aniracetam, paracetam, oxyracetam, mm -hmm. um, a lot of these other drugs, uh, those are not patented, patented, but they are expensive to start producing. They're expensive to create. So there's still only maybe two or three companies who are selling these in the specialty stores that they're online, and they're still making quite a bit of a buck. Now, we in the future, we might not be able to have something like a Pfizer, but really, is that so bad? Really, is it so bad that, that there's an oligopoly between these prescription drug companies to where there's uh, tons and tons of cancer medications that are never able to be able to show up on the market because of regulations? Is it really such a bad thing that... We're able to have different medications besides the normal chemotherapy medications because m multiple corporations are in the pockets of these FDA regulators. It should not be a surprise that a lot of the people who in regulations, who for one, by the way, people who go into the FDA are the top 10%, lo lowest 10% of their, their class in, in general <laughs> cases. Um, that's not, that's not, uh, the, the lower the class goes into regulation, the upper class goes Yeah, into I don't know. It's, it's hard to know. In a business, but, but the thing is, is and uh, that might be anecdotal. No, no, I was going to say, it's, it's hard talking. to know for a given government function whether you want the stupid people or the smart people to be in charge. I mean, by and large, I want the incompetent, stupid people to be employed by the government. I want the government yeah, actually, not to yeah. do a good job. Well, you know? yeah. No, you do because you can get around them and get creative. I don't want IRS tax agents to be smart. I don't want, you know, um, narcotics officers to be smart and competent. I want them to be bumbling idiots and sit there and take a salary for doing nothing. I prefer that. Well, it's a mix. No, what you... You don't necessarily want stupid, you want lazy. Yeah, right. There's, now, I'm using it as a proxy. Incompetent, yeah. lazy, stupid, inferior, whatever. No, no, no. Now, the guys that build the roads, lazy. I guess I want good roads. You know, I don't know. I want a bang for my buck. So. Well, the thing is, though, and with the roads, it is a bit different. It's not – the road system isn't like Child Protective Services where it's a direct government employee. The road system is one where 
they contract out to corporations, which then build the roads. Yeah, but you can say which the same they, thing about private prisons and the military industrial. I'm, no, I'm, I'm with I'm you completely, but that's that's why roads are a little bit better than child protective services. Well, the roads also a legitimate function. I mean, you would have roads in a free market. It's just the government monopolizes that function and does an inefficient job of it and a corrupt job of it. I have this, which can give me information around the entire world, can shoot up information to the satellites, which directly go into this one. But for some reason, people think that um, the free market wouldn't be able to handle concrete. Yeah, so on the, on the pharmaceutical thing, um, my understanding is that, um, I mean, look, the problem we have is an interplay of several government policies and regulations. Number one would be the healthcare system itself, which is totally corrupted by the state. Uh, also, the, the policy that doctors have to be the ones who prescribe medications, right? Uh, also, the FDA process, which prevents people from taking whatever they want without government permission, uh, combined with the regulatory process of the FDA, which requires companies to reveal their information during this long testing process. So by the time they're ready to go to market, they've already revealed to the world what they're going to do so competitors are ready to compete with them. It removes their first mover advantage that they would normally have. And the patent system, all these things combined together. Um, I mean, I'm in favor of modern drugs. I'm in favor of whatever people want to do. I think big companies would exist on the free market. They just they wouldn't have as many costs. And they wouldn't be able to rely upon any, protect, any competitive measures like the FDA system, which helps them stop competitors and the patent system which helps them stop competitors, and things like the minimum wage, pro-union legislation, tariffs, even taxes, which discriminate disproportionately against smaller companies who are less able to manipulate and deal with these laws than the bigger companies. So, for example, Walmart is in favor of increasing the minimum wage. Now, why is – and so are unions, by the way. Why is that? That's because they already pay their workers more than minimum wage. So increasing the minimum wage won't hurt them. And it makes them look good to the to the roofs out there who don't understand economics. But it would hurt their smaller competitors who are paying at or slightly below minimum wage. So there's always a an underlying motive here. Um, there's also there's also organizations, um, independent organizations right now, which kind of regulate their own fields without the need of the government. And one of those is is IEEE, yep. which deals with engineering, and. Um, you know, they kind of make requirements for this is the size of all the USB ports or anything else. Now, you can decide to not do that, yeah. and then no one's going to buy your fucking product. Yeah, but, but someone... that's actually a perverse thing most people don't realize. A lot of these standards, like your, the standards, they get away with that sometimes, IEEE and these other standards. But sometimes you'll have industries come together. They'll try to collaborate on some, some policies or standards. So guess what? Antitrust law Antitrust law is going to stop them. So <laughs> – you have fragmentation, you have inefficiency, uh, and then people say, well, we need patents to kind of make up for this or whatever, or the government's got to come in and do it for us because the market's well, – you're not letting the market perform its natural function. Um, and I, I've even heard that uh, – and this is, sounds plausible to me. I'm not an expert on it that um, um, a lot of um, – what do you call the homeopathic drugs or the natural drugs remedies, you know, natural remedies? That, two different, completely two different. Yeah, I know. I'm, saying, I'm not an expert on this, but basically, what I'm saying is non-modern patented things, right? That people would use. Uh, there's a natural incentive in the, in the modern medical system to for doctors to prescribe the new patented drug, right? Because it's patented. Because the drug companies are going to push that because they can sell that for a monopoly price. They can't sell aspirin for very much, but they can sell 
you know, it's like you mentioned with this this uh, uh, one of the drugs that had changed. Uh, I take uh, this allergy thing, uh, Zyrtec, and I don't know if you. And now it's over the counter, so it's a lot cheaper. But it won't. It's not covered by health insurance anymore because it's not prescription. So it costs you know twenty bucks instead of a hundred. But now I pay the full price of twenty instead of five dollars out of a hundred, right? So there's this weird incentive thing going on, and then the drug companies release Zyrtec slow release, and they patent that. And that's the one that's prescribed now, right, or something like well, that. I mean, it's a, you sort of have. There was there was this uh, cute thing when it came to um, prescription drug companies. They released uh, fish oil. They released it. It was super. And in their commercials, they had like a scientific lab with an ocean behind them. And fish oil has been out forever. Right. But they're releasing it like this. And the thing is, is there's a William Davis. He runs something called Scam Blog, and he wrote a book called Wheat Belly. I don't necessarily agree with everything, but I think he's a very interesting man. He brought up that he had a patient come in, and he told him, hey, look, you got to take fish oil. You have inflammation issues due to an omega-6, omega-3 imbalance, and there's you're going to need to start taking this in order to remedy that issue. And he stated, well, can you give me the prescription for it? And he said, well, no, actually, you can buy the Walgreens for like, you know, 10 bucks for 100 He goes, well, look, if, if you give me the prescription, though, then it's only a $5 copay. And... He was just grossed out by this because, like, you know, if I do do this, though, it's going to cost the insurance company massively a lot more money, but it's all it's all hidden because of insurance. And that's why if you go to, say, Walgreens and you get a prescription, like one of my prescriptions is, is um, $50 for 60 at Costco because they only do a 10% raise or 10 or 20%, somewhere around those lines. If you buy to Walgreens, though, it's about $400, but with insurance, you pay less right. because – it's 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 all yeah. it's all hidden, and uh, and so the idea that one this is a free market is ridiculous, and that somehow I mean the, it's it's just every single time the state gets involved it feels like they're grabbing an axe cutting you in the leg and then figuring out a new new kind of band aid to put on it. No, that's what Mises said: controls breed controls, and when people say. We need patents in the pharmaceutical case because the costs are so high. I'm like, are you kidding me? The, the costs are high because of the state. The state ruins everything it touches. It has this complete, vast, destructive regulatory framework of prescriptions and medical licensing of doctors, um, uh, You know, basically outlawing uh, the natural providers, whatever you call them, um, uh, 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 and FDA process. And and so you hobble companies, and you create oligopolies with their other laws, and then you say, well, we need to give them patents to help them make up the, the cost. It's like, and, why and, don't and you just stop thing, hobbling them in the first place? Right. And the doctor thing is interesting because if you're a doctor in the United States right now, I'm going to actually have my dad on soon. He's a, he's a pulmonologist, which is a lung doctor. He also works in intensive care, and he was breaking down the amount of money he spends on employees just to deal with insurance companies. Right. It is insane. Yep. Um, the amount of work that has to go into that, all this, all this money has to be poured into that. All this time has to be wasted into that, and he's doing that on top of seeing patients all day. Do you know how difficult and how time-consuming it would be for him to have to look up every single pharmaceutical drug? Yet people get mad that that these doctors are just listening to the pharmaceutical companies well they don't have that much time and on top of that they get um they get into a lot of trouble or they can get sued if say they recommend taking uh yeah. milk milk 
this will uh, 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 APA, uh, DHEA, and vitamin C if you're having issues in regards to autoimmune problems. But they won't, they'll get in trouble for that if it doesn't immediately fix it. But they will not get in trouble if they give you some kind of steroid yeah. and possibly a broad yeah. uh, antibiotic, which can completely destroy your gut and cause issues for a long period of time but because those are prescribed and that's the normal yeah, they way do the, they do the safe thing and then, and then there's no alternatives because they're outlawed right i mean the other doctor the other people that are natural healers or whatever you want to call them you know they they can't practice with because they need a license right so they're marginalized or basically outlawed it's the same thing with the DEA i mean the the FDA the, the federal death administration they they have an incentive to not approve drugs right Sounds because, like a professional yeah. wrestling group. Yeah, no, the FDA. The the federal, federal Death, death Administration. But because if they approve a drug and it kills 10 people out of a million, they're gonna, there's going to be an upcry, uh, you know, uproar about it. So they have a natural conservative bias to just say no. Because if they say no, it's like Hazlitt and Bastia talked about. The, 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 the people that die because they don't get the drug that never comes to the market, they're unseen costs of this regulation. So everyone trusts this, this agency to be looking out for our interest when in reality they're just a bureaucracy and they shouldn't be stopping people from using medical choice do whatever the hell they want with their own bodies and their own life and whatever healthcare professional they want to consult with right okay right. um is there anything else you want to add we're at about the 45 minute mark yeah you know i wanted to ask um yeah in regards to modern day pirates uh you know which is a term that I, I think is illegitimate because um, I did listen to your speech on you know original pirates and what they were granted by the monarchy you know to do what they did. Um, what do you see the future in terms of piracy and how it might help us <laughs> get out of the whole IP and copyright situation? Since things keep on becoming duplicated, we have Pirate Bay, we have BitTorrent, we have these things that really at this point they seem almost unstoppable. And when you see, you know, websites being shut down, a new one is started up somewhere else mm -hmm. offshore, um, and you have redirection, which I think is great. Um, you know, I, I think that human beings have the ability to be creative and get around these things. Do you think that that's going to help with the whole, whole IP battle? I'm hopeful. Uh, I think so. I, I mean, I can't. Who knows? Um, since you're a lawyer, you see like the you know what really happens. But. Yeah, but as a lawyer, I sometimes look at the worst case too. So sometimes I'm a pessimist because um, when I talk to clients, I'm always telling them the worst possible thing that might happen, and they they sometimes don't like to hear that. They're like, "Oh, you're so negative." I'm like, "I'm not negative. I'm trying to, you know, it's like insurance in a way, right?" Uh, <laughs> but um, no, the piracy thing. I mean, look, um, I'm not a big political activist type, but some of the best movements, like this pirate movement, they're actually pretty good on most issues that they talk about. Um, and I do think it's expanding greatly. Um, I think piracy is one of the, it's fantastic. Look, in a way it's transformed the music and movie industry's attitude, or starting to transform the movie industry. They don't like it. They always resist every different change, right? When the VCR came out, oh, oh, well, radio came out, they freaked out. Well, when sheet music, you know, when, when, when record LPs came out, they thought okay. when radios came out, they thought, you know, when LPs came out, they thought it was going to put the sheet music business out of business. And then I guess it kind of did. <laughs> but that's okay. You know, buggy whips are out of business too now. Um, but, you know, radio, they objected to radio. They objected to VHS tapes and eight, eight tracks and cassette tapes and then digital audio tapes and then uh, uh, cable TV and satellite 
everything they freak out about. And then the money keeps going up and up over the years because people consume more, you know, more media. Um, and I think what's happened is that it looks to me like the attitude towards, let's say, YouTube. If you any song you can think of, you can go on YouTube and probably find 17 copies of it or 180 copies of it, right? Um, whereas five years ago, not so much. Partly because they weren't up there, but partly because these companies were so crazy they were trying to stop it. It's like playing whack-a-mole. They, it looks like they've kind of given up. Partly, partly because they know it's yeah. futile, and, and the blowback was really bad. And what's that? And the blowback was really bad. And the blowback, yeah, the, the rep, a lot of people, yeah, they see a, a bad reputational hit, and also because they realize it's kind of good for them. I mean, they're getting, they're building up the brand of a given artist, and so you can find a, a Pink Floyd video from nineteen, you know, eighty-two concert. Online and even though you can go buy the DVD, it's, I, I watched it last night. Someone told me about it. It's fantastic. I mean, so I think that piracy is kind of changing the attitude. I mean, everyone says if we don't have copyright, then people could just copy your stuff. It's like, well, they can do that now. There's piracy now. Yeah. So people, a new author, a new artist, a new movie producer has to realize that whatever they do, if it's popular, it's going to be pirated. Uh, and I agree with you. I hate the word too because. It's, it's not a fair word. It's going to be copied you know, right away. Um, so I think that's good. And I do think that the – I'm hopeful that 3D printers will someday mature. I mean right now I think we're in the dot matrix era. Um, they're, like, they're like dot matrix printers used to be when I was younger, like 1984. You know, black and white, slow, uh, crude. Uh, but now we have color laser printers that that cost less than you know a, a, a tank of gas <laughs> in my car. So maybe 20 years from now we'll have laser printers that we I mean 3D printers that we cannot imagine what they can do, and they are going to resort to torrenting and piracy to get these files if people start asserting patents and copyrights in the shapes of objects and the designs of objects that can be printed with these these printers. And it- and you already said 20 years from now. We have no idea what the hell is going to happen in two years from now, That's the way correct. technology is moving. It's yep. just absolutely phenomenal. I bought this webcam that I'm talking to you through for 40 bucks, and it's like 1080p. And I was like, wow, yep. things are just cheap. Yep. Things are cheap. I have I have all these, all the things that I have right now, the, the computer that I have, the webcam that I have, all the internet and everything else. I'm able to get that all with essentially working maybe four days, four or five days of work. You know, compared to just 100 years ago when it took four to five days of work to be able to purchase a pair of shoes. No, I agree. You, there's, lots of, there's lots of businesses that have, have been able to um, um, radically downsize in the sense that you can be so efficient and nimble and mobile, and you can outsource the few tasks you need to people on Elance or you know, on the web in India, Pakistan, North Carolina, you know, whatever. You don't care where they are. You build up these connections. Um, you know, if you want to be a small lawyer like me, I, I'm, I'm my own employee. I work from my house. I don't need a secretary. I don't need, you know, a dictaphone. I don't need a, a voice, you know, answering service anymore. I can use Google Voice, and I can, if on occasion I need something transcribed, I can email some some lady I know in in North Dakota, and she does it in a day, and it costs seventeen dollars. I mean, it's just incredible what you can do. Um, Are you, you saying know, you've cut out all of your middlemen? Yeah, I've cut out the middlemen. The gatekeepers are dying out, which is good. Yeah. Middlemen and gatekeepers are dying out. Taking away the jobs. They're shifting, shifting to people that are the people are becoming independent. You know, they're just shifting. Okay. You know, 
But yes, Obviously. some jobs are disappearing, which means there's more efficiency, which is also good, right? Of course. Which is good. We'll develop new jobs. I mean, I think the big joke is what happened to the guy who used to make wagons. Well, he started doing something else. Yeah. Or you know, yeah, um, right. more, people, more artists and people thinking abstractly and doing different things with their minds. It's going to be. Dude, yeah, it's yeah. evolve or die. So. And which, which, <laughs> which is a way better slogan than vote or die. So <laughs> I like uh, that. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. Um, but I, I think that's about it. All right. Um, Thanks so much for your time, Mr. Kinsella. I've enjoyed it, yep. guys. Call me Stephen. Call me Stephen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Stefan, uh, what is there a website or anything else that people should check out? Just uh, c4sif.org, which stands for Center for the Study of Innovative Freedom. So c the number four sif.org, and my, my name Stefan Kinsella has um, all the stuff there too. All right. Well, thank you very much. You have a great day, and uh, thank you all for uh, watching and listening to the Running Gate Variety Hour.